I know some of you are waiting with eager anticipation, but we're making our way to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Two more weeks after this week, uh, and we'll get there. We're working our way to the end of chapter 7. Uh, the theme, this theme of judgment running through this final chapter, expressed through the series of juxtapositions here at the end of the chapter. Last week we saw the contrast between the narrow way and the wide path. This week it's true teachers, false teachers. Next week it will be true disciples, false disciples. Uh, and the last week will be you know, two different kinds of foundations. Right? And so here's this theme of judgment along with this, this, uh, this, this theme of discernment. Right? This theme of discernment runs with it. No, we're not meant to become a bunch of self-righteous judges, uh, which unfortunately happens far, far too often in the church. Uh, we need to repent of that. We need to confess our sin when we become self-righteous judges who, who go around like, I'm better than you because I don't do what you do, and, and just calling people names, and rather than coming alongside people, loving them and giving them the gospel of grace. Right? We need to repent of that. Far too often that happens. But we are meant to be discerning. We're meant to be discerning. Okay? We need to be discerning about who we're following, who we're listening to, what they're saying. Why? Because Jesus says there are false teachers among us. Right? Wolves in sheep's clothing is what he says they are. Who can lead us to destruction. In this passage, Jesus gives us uh, three truths that we're going to pull out about these false prophets to help us be discerning, to protect us and keep us on that narrow path. Right? First truth, false teachers are devious. False teachers are devious. Look at verse 15 again. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Right? These guys are not straightforward. They don't come to you and say, Hello, I'm your false prophet for the morning. I would like to give you my false teaching today. Would you please listen and, and follow in my falsehoods? You know, they, don't, they don't do that. Right? He says they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Right? They look like sheep. They look like sheep. They look like they're Christians. They say they're Christians. They talk about Jesus sometimes. Right? But inwardly, ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves. They're subtle. They're subtle. Right? They, te- they teach about Jesus, but, but they are false prophets giving a false teaching, a false word from the Lord. That's what prophet is. They give a word from the Lord. Right? They speak on behalf of God, teach on behalf of God. That's what that word really means. It doesn't mean you just like forecast the future, right? Prophets in the sense of teachers, proclaiming truth from God to people, right? These false prophets proclaim, proclaim false truths, right? They're not true, right? False preaching, false teaching. Jesus is emphasizing the subtleness of their deception. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Right? They, don't, they don't just like present themselves to you and tell you who they are. They're subtle. He continues that emphasis with the comparison between the two trees, Right? Notice that the, the two trees appear to look the same. They, they both bear fruit. But it's only when you get the fruit, you see the fruit, you taste the fruit, that you can tell, okay, this fruit's rotten, this fruit's good. But the trees look the same. It's subtle. It's subtle. This is why discernment is so, so important. Appearances can be deceiving. Can they, can they not? Right? In, in life in general, appearances can be so deceiving. And the sad truth is that far too many Christians, I would say the vast majority of Christians, cannot distinguish between good teaching and false teaching in the church. That's the sad truth. Right? Let me give you an example. And I'm not saying that this conference is terrible. I've gone to it a few times. So, and they have some great teachers who come in. They also have some just nut jobs who come in. I mean... Just wackos, okay? Catalyst Conference in Atlanta. I've gone a few times. But I remember a few years ago in particular, 
And I'm not going to throw out the names here yet. Um, but there was a couple guys um, who spoke earlier in the conference, right? Completely off. But they talked about Jesus. They even mentioned the cross. But they did not proclaim the gospel of grace, right? They did not proclaim the truth of God's word, right? They use the word Christian. They say they're Christians. Their books are in Christian bookstores. They sell a lot of them. Not Christians, right? Wolves in sheep's clothing. What happens at the end of that? Like this room of like 15,000 people at this conference. They get done with their, 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 their sermon, their talk, right? And, and everybody just gets up and goes, Yay! That was awesome! Yeah, all these Christians in this room, all these leaders from churches who come to hear from these other guys, right? And yay! That was so good! Okay, well there's another guy, and I will give you his name. His name's Matt Chandler. He's the president of the Church Planning Network we're part of. He preached after those guys the same day, right? And so, Matt is a gospel-centered preacher. I mean, we're in his church play network. We think he's on the right track, right? Preaches the Bible, preaches the gospel with clarity, gives the glory to Jesus, right? So he's preaching, and he's directly actually refuting, without, without calling the guys out by name. He wasn't a jerk about it, but he's directly refuting the false things that were said in these earlier messages. And just boom, 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 here's the gospel, here's the truth. And what happens at the end of Matt's talk? The same 15,000 people jump up and they go, yay, that was awesome. They have no idea, no idea, no discernment whatsoever, right? No discernment whatsoever. What said Christian, he said Jesus must be legit, right? Must be legit. No, no. It's like the Lego movie, right? The theme song. If you haven't watched the Lego movie, do yourself a favor, pick that one up, take that home. It's a good one. It's got all the, all the great things, Legos, Will Ferrell, and a, a great song. Everything is awesome, right? Everything is awesome. That, that's like the theme song of Christianity today, right? Everything's awesome. Right? You said Jesus, awesome, right? Awesome. We use that word way too much. Please don't use that so much. Awesome, right? Um, British people make fun of us, just so you know. I heard some of them make fun of us at our pastor's retreat but uh, for using that word way too much. Just because it's called a church, though, just because the word Jesus, Christ, um, Christianity, Christian, whatever's in its name, doesn't mean it's true church. Doesn't mean it's a biblical church. Right? Just because the teacher has written a lot of books and sold a lot of copies, or, or just because that teacher's books are sold in the Christian bookstore, which, by the way, um, my, my theory is, like, when Jesus goes in the temple and he starts, like, tossing stuff, that's what he would do at the Christian bookstore, by the way. Right? Thomas Kincaid paintings are flying out the window. Right? Tearing crap apart. This is junk. That's what he's going to say. You're just trying to make money off of crap. Right? That's what he's going to do. Um, so that's my theory. Um, just because that teacher's books are sold in a Christian bookstore, the Christian section at Barnes & Noble, which is pretty loosely, let's use quotation marks there, doesn't mean that teacher is solid in preaching truth. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. Jesus says, beware. He says, look out. There are ravenous wolves among you who are dressed in sheep's clothing. And they will lead you to destruction. You need to be discerning. Just because they look legit, or lots of people seem to think they're legit, doesn't mean that they're too legit, too legit to quit. Anybody back in the day? I'm getting old, I admit it. Um, MC Hammer, at least I didn't wear the pants. Um, uh, right, they're devious. They need to, you need to be discerning. The focus of Jesus on the subtlety of the false prophets here seems to be pointing out that 
the false teaching of these prophets is not detected so much by what they do say as by what they don't say. You catch that? This is where you need to be discerning. It's not so much what they do say, but what they don't say. What they don't say. He's not talking about blatant heresy. Right? He's not talking about folks who just promote a blatant false gospel. You know, or just believe that, you know, hey, Jesus is just a good teacher. He wasn't the God-man. Or Jesus isn't the only way. There's lots of ways. It's not like the blatant stuff. Not the blatant stuff that probably most any Christian should be able to detect. Um, but I think it's, it's fair to say that most Christians today uh, cannot detect the, the false teacher who says a lot of right things, but doesn't say the vital things. Doesn't say the vital things. Far too many of us have decided that the only teacher, teaching that is an error is that which is blatantly and outrageously wrong. And we fail to understand that the, really the most dangerous person of all is the one who doesn't emphasize the right things. Right? The one who's most dangerous says some good things, but they don't really emphasize the right things. You know, not many of us would be foolish enough to drink the Kool-Aid with Jim Jones. Okay? Not many of us would, would fall for that. Like most of us are like, there's no way, right? I would assume all of us in this room, we would, we would pass that test. We're not drinking the Kool-Aid with Jim Jones. But yet we'll eat up all kinds of self-help preaching. And your awesome psycho babble that happens in so many churches, in so many books today. We'll eat it up. We'll eat it up. Let me explain what this false teaching is kind of like. Right? There's no narrow gate. There's no narrow path in it. Right? It's a wide open all in, right? There's no narrow path. You don't have to, you just, who, we're not even going to talk about your sin or the sinful condition of your heart or that you need rescue. There's nothing to repent of. Just take Jesus, come on in. Right? They'll use the Bible uh, the, the, and read passages from Scripture. They'll talk about Jesus. They'll talk about God's love. But along, comes, along with it comes lots of talk of, of things like this. Three steps to fix your marriage. Here's three ways for you to work hard. Make your marriage better. Or fix your finances. You know, the key to your best life now. Lots of talk about how everything and everyone are just awesome. You like that word? You'll hear a lot of talk in this kind of false teaching that says, let's not dig into doctrine. Let's not talk about theology because theology is divisive. Right? That divides us up. If we get into theology, then we're like splitting hairs and, and kind of start fighting and everything. Um, let's stay away from theology. Let's just talk about how awesome Jesus thinks you are. Right? Let's just talk about that. Okay? What, that's, what's funny about that to me is what does the word theology mean? What does the word theology mean? It means a study of God. That's what theology means. To study God. To know more about God. So if we're not talking about theology, I guess all we really are talking about is how awesome you are. If we're not going to talk about God and who He is and what He's about... It's a silliness, it's silliness. False teachers are always very comforting. They tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Right? Prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he talks a lot about false prophets of his day. Right? He, Jeremiah is a true prophet of God. Right? These false prophets would come in and they would say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. That's what Jeremiah says. Peace, peace, but there's no peace. But they tell you peace because... That's comfortable. You want to hear that. But it's not true. It's not true. They don't say that everything's perfect, perfect and nothing is wrong, but they give a false assurance that you're okay as, you're, as you are, or, or you'll be okay with just a little bit more effort on your part. Right? You catch that? 
There's a difference there. This isn't the gospel. This isn't the gospel. This isn't what we see and read in God's word. But this isn't what Jesus says or, what, or, what, or why he came, right? The true gospel is that you are dead in your sin. You're dead in your sin, right? You're not just a little bit messed up or need a little bit of work in refining in these areas. You're dead in your sin, separated from God, right? Cut off from him because of the fall. We're born in this condition, all of us. Not, none of us in the room were like, oh, you're good, you're bad. No, all of us, every human being born separate from God. Dead in sin. But God in his mercy, in his love, in his goodness, for his glory, set out to rescue you. He set in motion a plan to rescue before he even made a one of us. Right? By sending the one man, the God man, who lived the perfect life that none of us can live. With Jesus Christ, right? The son of God. Who was obedient in all the ways that we disobey God. Perfectly. And he went to the cross and he willingly died in your place. The death that you deserve for your sins. Right? He shed his blood. He, he, the full cup of God's wrath was poured out on him in your place. He died as your substitute to atone for your sins, to make you one with God again. And he rose again, victorious over the grave. Victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And grace and mercy await all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And you respond to him with repentance and faith, right? Acknowledging your sin. Acknowledging your sinful condition. Turning from it. Desiring to be rid of it. And turning and trusting in Jesus. Putting your hope in him. That through him, he, he can reconcile you. He can clothe you with his righteousness. His Holy Spirit that he sends to us can help renew your heart day by day to make you more and more like him. To turn from those sins. To overcome those sins day by day. Eventually, we live with him forever in glory where there is no more sin, no more death. No more suffering. That's the gospel. But that's the gospel. The gospel isn't you're awesome and you can be even more awesome, which is a little bit more work. That's not the gospel. It isn't do better, try harder. Right? The gospel is you're dead in sin, you need rescue, and Jesus is your rescue. Cling to him. Cling to him. Jesus says beware because these false teachers are devious. Right? That's the first truth. The second truth is that false teachers are destructive, right? They're destructive because of how they lead you astray and lead you away from the narrow path. They lead you away from the true gospel and and they lead you away from Jesus. They lead you away from him. Instead, it it leads you to yourself, to your effort, um, or to complacency. Like, I'm, I'm good, who cares, right? All of which are incapable of rescuing you. What's truly dangerous is that because these false teachers are so devious and deceptive, they lead you to believe that you're on the narrow path. That you're on the narrow way, when in fact you're not. You're on the wide path leading to destruction. That's how deceptive they are. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus makes it clear what awaits these false prophets here in verse 19. He says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Judgment. It gets even more severe elsewhere. If you look at Matthew 18, verse 6. That's what Jesus says. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That's what awaits false teachers. That's what Jesus says awaits false teachers. He's always tender with his sheep. Right? You always see Jesus pursuing, loving, going after his sheep. 
but he gets severe with the wolves. Right? He calls the, the, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Right? You look pretty on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Right? He says you're the spawn of Satan. He gets harsh with false teachers. He gets harsh with false teachers. He says it would be better for false teachers to have a boulder tied around their neck and to be cast into the deepest part of the ocean. That would be a better thing than what, what awaits you. Right? That's what's coming. Destruction's waiting for them, and the danger is that in following them, we're following them into that path of destruction. We're going with them. Right? When we buy in. Because to follow a false teacher and their teaching means that you're not truly following Christ. You're not following Jesus and his teaching. You're following that dude and his teaching. Right? And if you're not in Christ, whether you think you are or, or not, means very little. The reality is you're not walking in step with Jesus. You're not walking in step with him. You're walking in step with the wolves headed to destruction. Right? They're, they're destructive. Third truth. False teachers, they are detectable. Right? They're detectable. We can identify them if we're discerning. We can know who they are and we can stay clear. Let me walk through three ways that we can identify false teachers. First, they're detectable in their teaching, right? By listening to their teaching. If we know the word, if we know the gospel, that's a big if there, right? If we know that, we can detect it. We talked about some of this already. It's not so much what they say, but what they don't say. They may mention Jesus in the cross and death and his death, but what is the meaning of that death. Who is Jesus to them? What, what are they saying when they say those things? Like you could say the right words and not say the same thing. Let me give you an example. Right? Twisted truth from a book that was pretty popular in Christian circles a few years ago. Right? Here's the quote. There's nothing wrong with talking and singing about how the blood will never lose its power. And nothing but the blood will save us. Those are powerful metaphors. Metaphors? Powerful metaphors. But, but we don't live any longer in a culture in which people offer animal sacrifices to the gods. People did live that way th- for thousands of years. And there are pockets of primitive cultures around the world that do continue to understand sin, guilt, and atonement in those ways. But most of us don't. What the first Christians did was look around them and put the Jesus story in language their listeners would understand. Okay? That's Rob Bell from Love Wins. Okay? metaphor it's just a little twisting right it says a lot of the same things are there but it's a slight twist right the danger with this way of thinking is that it diminishes the true meaning of the cross it diminishes the true meaning of the cross is the cross just a metaphor for how god loves you is it a metaphor or was it the sin atoning death of jesus for your sins right that's a big deal that's a big deal the bible is clear that it is no metaphor but rather, it is the only way by which we must be saved. It is the only way that we may be saved. Penal substitutionary atonement. There's your theological word of the day, right? Three of them, actually. Penal substitutionary atonement, right? Penal substitutionary atonement. Let me explain what that means. It means that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty that you deserve for your sins. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins as your substitute. He took your place there as your substitute. And through his shed blood, literally, not metaphorically, literally, the wrath of God was satisfied. And your sins were atoned for, making you one with God again through faith in him. 
right? The great exchange, as Martin Luther talks about, you see in 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God. That blood wasn't a metaphor, right? It was shed to clothe you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to rescue you. Penal substitutionary atonement. If that's missing, it's a sure sign it's false teaching. Right? If there's no emphasis on repentance, right? you simply just decide for Jesus and continue on doing whatever you do. Right? With, with no, no sense of, I'm a sinner who needs to turn from my sin. Right? I need to repent. I need a desire to, to follow Christ. Right? None of us are going to do that perfectly. Right? We're, repentance is a daily practice. It's not a once-off event. It's something we do daily. But if that's not there ever, that's a problem. There's no emphasis, it's a problem. If the means of salvation and growth in your faith are based on your performance, if it's based on your effort, that's a sign of false teaching. Right? Do these things, don't do those things, and you'll be good. Or you'll keep your standing. That's false teaching. The focus is on self-help instead of the gospel of grace. It's completely off. It's off. You need to t- check the word, right? So you can be discerning. You need to know the word so you can be discerning. You need to check any teaching you hear, including the teaching that you hear in this place every Sunday against the word of God. You need to check it against the word of God. And, and against any book you read, you need to check it against the, the word of God. False teachers are detectable in their teaching if you know the word, if you know the gospel, and if you're listening. Right? They're also detectable by their life. And by their character. Life and teaching always go together, right? That's a theme throughout the Bible. Uh, Paul tells a young pastor named Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, he, he tells him this, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Listen, it's really hard to fake it forever. It's really hard to fake it forever. To present yourself as something and not really be that thing, it's really hard to, to keep those appearances up forever. Eventually, it begins to crack, right? Eventually, people start to see through if they're discerning. Right? Things aren't going to line up forever. No teacher is perfect. Please don't hear me say that. But true teachers repent of their sin, right? Repentance is the key here, right? Really, that for all of us, whether you are a teacher of God's word or not, right, this is the key here, repentance, Because for any of us, as soon as we stop repenting of sin, we turn into a heretic. That's the reality. As soon as you stop repenting of sin, you turn into a heretic. And eventually, the appearances fade. A third way that they're detectable is what Jesus tells us here in verses 16 through 20. Right? You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You recognize them by their fruit. What's the fruit? Notice Jesus doesn't say that bad trees, diseased trees produce no fruit. It doesn't mean that nobody's going to follow false teachers. It doesn't mean that there will be no fruit. It says it will be rotten fruit, bad fruit. But they may even have a lot of it. There may be a lot of fruit there. But it's rotten. Bad. It's not true, good fruit. Okay? 
False teachers end up on the New York Times bestsellers list. A lot. Right? Because they say what people want to hear. Your best life now. Yeah? False teaching. You know? You can't simply judge uh, based on the attendance at the church, right? There may be lots of people showing up and crowding in. That doesn't mean that it's sound doctrine. And I'm not saying every big church is false teaching. There are lots of big churches that are really good, good churches. But there are false teachers who have huge churches. Huge churches, huge followings. It doesn't mean that there will be no fruit. It just means that, that fruit will be bad. It won't be good. They may have tons of followers who are living good, ethical, moral lives, who seem to be upstanding Christians. But why are they living that way? Why do they live that way? Is it because they have a heart renewed by the gospel of grace that's given them new desires to live for God and in His glory? Or is it because they're trying to earn something or keep something in that self-help, religious performance mindset? Is it because they're just nice people? Honestly, I meet lots of people who don't know Jesus at all, aren't following false teachers, they just don't believe in Jesus at all, who are a lot nicer dispositionally than I am. You know? That's possible. There are a lot better fathers out there than I am who don't know the Lord. You know, if I'm honest. Just because somebody's nice and good doesn't mean that they're they're following true teaching, that it's good fruit. The fruit will show the truth in time. Right? Appearances can be deceiving, but they never last. True teachers leave in their wake transformed people, uh, people transformed by a whole gospel. A whole gospel, not just part of the gospel. Okay? Let me explain this. People who aren't simply interested in making the world a better place by meeting physical needs alone, but who want to meet the deepest spiritual needs as well. Right? They want to see redemption and restoration and reconciliation to reconcile people to God. Not just give them food, but reconcile them to God. That their deepest needs might be really met as well. Right? But on the flip side, it's a whole gospel, right? And we divide this out in lots of different ways and different camps do this all the time. Right? There's lots of churches that will preach all day. We need to reconcile people to God, but they won't do anything for the poor, for the hungry, for those in need. It's a whole gospel. So likewise, we're not also going out there just saying, hey, we want to get you to pray this prayer, and then boom, we're on to the next one. No, we want to be a part of redemption and renewal. We want to be a part of the kingdom, ambassadors of Christ's kingdom coming here. His kingdom come now, right? We want to bring about some of that restoration in the meantime as we await Him coming to fully renew and restore. So we go and we love and we do meet physical needs. It's a whole gospel. People impacted by a whole gospel. Not just doing this part or this part, but all of it. All of it. Right? Their fruit are not lives of religious performance and obedience, seeking to earn or keep a standing with God, but transformed hearts with new motivations, new desires that want to, not have to, want to follow God, want to obey God, want to honor God. You recognize them by their fruit, by their fruit. This is yet again, right? This is one of those passages that if we didn't preach through books of the Bible or, or set whole sections of Scripture like we're doing with the Sermon on the Mount and kind of go start to finish through it, we would never pick this, right? I would never, like, say, for a standalone sermon, yeah, this is where I want to go, <laughs> right? I, I want to preach on this. This is not a fun passage, necessarily. It's a tough passage. It's a hard passage. It's a hard teaching for all of us, right? But we need it. In God's providence, 
because we go through books of the Bible the way we do, here we are. And it's here for us today. And it's good because we need it. We need it. It's important because Jesus said it. It's important because it's in his word. I think one of the most dangerous things in Christianity today is the lack of discernment in the people of God. The lack of discernment in the people of God. That we just sit back and we'll let leaders just do whatever, shift wherever they want to go on all kinds of things. Right? And we say nothing. We're not like, oh, this is what the word says, right? This is, that's not right. That's a twisting. That's a changing, you know? The lack of discernment in the people, God, is the most dangerous thing in Christianity. You and I need to be more discerning. We don't need to turn into like, you know, whacked out conspiracy theorists, okay? Not saying that. We don't need to be skeptical like of everything. Like everybody, everybody's out to get me and they're all false teachers. I'm gonna shoot them all down, like, you don't have to go crazy with it, but you need to know the word well enough so that when you hear false teaching, you can spot it. Okay? And when you hear it, you can spot it. You need to know the gospel truth well enough that you can hear when it's not that. Right? Like, that doesn't sound right. They left out some pretty important things there. We need more discernment. Um, it's the little omissions, right? It's the slight twisting of the truth that can quickly deceive us into thinking that we're on the narrow path when we're actually strolling down the wide path to destruction. You know, we say this a lot around here, but you need to be a creature of the word. You need to be a creature of the word. That means you need to be in your Bible, reading your Bible. Not just coming here on Sundays to hear from the Bible, but reading your Bible on your own. Not just going to community group to talk about the Bible, but reading the Bible on your own throughout the week. Right? Romans 1.16 says that the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. But the gospel is where the power is. The power to be renewed. The power to have a new heart made that gives you new desires. The power to be set free from the penalty of sin. That's where the power is. And the word is where the gospel is. Right? God's word is where you find the gospel. That's where you see the gospel. That's where you know the gospel. Is reading the word and preaching it to your heart. Letting it speak to your heart. So you need to read the word. All right, there are a lot of great books out there. Okay, there's a lot of great teachers out there, a lot of great podcasts and people to listen to. That's all good. I like a lot of that myself. I'll recommend a lot of that to you. But hear me on this first, okay? More than all of that, you need to know this book, right? You need to love this book. You need to read this book first and foremost. That, that stuff's great. And I think you should supplement yourself with a lot of other reading out there. But if you're not reading this, Put those books away. Right? Put those books away, no matter who it is. Because if you're not reading this, you're not going to know what you're reading is true or not. Right? You need to love this book. You need to know your Bible. If you don't have one today, hey, we got these gray Bibles. There's a few of them strewn about here. Grab one. Take it home. Okay? Read it. Read it. You don't know where to start. You're like, I have a Bible, but I don't know what to do. Here's what I would recommend to you today. Right? Uh, a lot of folks, you grab a Bible, you grab a book, and you think, let's start the beginning and read the end. Please don't do that with the Bible, okay? Like Leviticus, you'll be like, I'm done. Um, you know, <laughs> what happened? Um, we're going to get there in Genesis for a while. It seemed like it was compelling, and I don't know. You know, and, and Leviticus is God's word. There's good truth there. But if you're just starting out, that's not where you want to be, okay? So where I would recommend, right, I, I usually recommend to people, if you're just starting out, start with the Gospel of Mark, Okay? It's one of the four gospel accounts about Jesus' life, 
ministry, his death, his resurrection. It's also the briefest, which is why I usually recommend it, so you can tackle it and get through it a little quicker, right? Start with maybe a chapter a day, right? If you're just starting out, start with a chapter a day. As you go about, you'll probably end up reading more, but start with a chapter a day, and as you get into it, pray before you start. Say, Father, would you speak to me through your word, right? Would you open my eyes to your word? What do you want to teach me today? What do you have to say to me today? Speak to me through this, right? And then read it. Get a little notebook or write in your Bible, get a pen, write in your Bible, whatever you need to do, take some notes, underline things, things that stand out as you're reading it. Pray about it, pray over what you read. When you're done, think about it throughout your day, but read your Bible, read your Bible. You know, talk about it. Talk about it with your spouse if you're married or with a friend if you're not, right? Talk about what you're reading. Ask questions, right? If you get stuck, ask questions, right? Get a good study Bible. That's a good help, too, for getting stuck. ESV study Bible, I think, is the best one out there. It's like you get a commentary set with your Bible. You may also need to get some wheels and a luggage suitcase to carry it around with you, but it's good. It's worth it, okay? Um, It's really, really good stuff. You know, ask questions, right? When you're reading the Bible, there's no dumb question, right? You're only dumb if you don't ask it, and you just quit. That's dumb. Ask those questions. Ask a friend. Ask me. Anybody, ask your community group. Talk through it, right? Talk through it. Just ask. Read it, think on it, memorize it, put it in your heart that it might guide you. That it might guide you to walk more closely with Jesus and to stay on the narrow path. To be discerning. That it might protect you from the wolves in sheep's clothing. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, would you help us today? to cling to your truth, would you help us to trust in, in your word above all? God, would you give us hearts that are open to your word, open to, to rethinking things, open to the fact that you as the creator of the universe might have a perspective on things that's a little bit better than mine. God, would you speak to us? Would you shape us by your word? Would you give us a passion for your word, a want to for your word? Right, to desire to read it, to know that that's where the truth of the gospel is. To know that that's where your love for us is really all displayed. That's where the truth about our sin and our rescue is communicated. God, help us want to read it. Help us want to. And then let us do it and keep doing it and keep growing in it. That we might be more discerning. Yeah, don't turn us into crazy wackos who are hating on other people all the time. God, but help us to be discerning that we might protect people, that we might lovingly point people back to the truth of the gospel, that we might help each other continue down that narrow path for your glory, for our good. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.